Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. If you haven't met me before, I am 100% a Midwestern girl, like through and through. I love going other places, but I never want to live anywhere else. And one of the reasons for this is that I dig fresh beginnings. I love every new season feels like, oh, now it's fall. We're going to do something new. Now it's the school year. Now it's the new year. Now it's spring. I see crocuses. Redesign everything. I love new beginnings. Sometimes when I'm feeling like I really need one, I just count every Monday as a new beginning. I love, love new beginnings. And so I love this time of year because our kids have gone back to school. And even though the weather hasn't really changed, I'm like, ooh, new season. It's fall. Let's do something new. And so what I want to do in our new thing to launch this new year, assuming that you all consider this one of like the four new years of a calendar year along with me, to launch this version of a new year is I want to dive deep in observation to rhythms of grace that we look at in the life of Jesus. These are vital rhythms on how Jesus lived his life during his time here, and I believe probably is still living it today, and we're invited to follow in these same rhythms. I love how this is um, articulated in Eugene Peterson's message version of the, of the Bible. You guys hear Sam and I refer to this passage sometimes. We both love it. Matthew 11, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Unforced rhythms of grace, freely and lightly. It sounds dreamy to me. I'm all in. But I would say to you that I believe we are more than invited to live these unforced rhythms of grace. I would propose to you that we are actually designed as humans fundamentally to mimic the unforced rhythms of grace as Jesus taught them. If we look at the line before that unforced rhythms of grace, Jesus says this, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. That's what we're going to talk about in these two weeks. The walk with me and the work with me. This is a two-week, two-part conversation that really should be one. If we take one without the other, we'll be ill-balanced. I encourage you to listen to both, but here's what we're talking about. The unforced rhythms of grace grace include in Jesus' life times where he would retreat to the wilderness in order to return and engage in the city. Those were his rhythms. When I was thinking about this, I think of a seesaw. And forgive me, because I grew up, we called this a teeter-totter. Did anyone else call it a teeter-totter? Okay, I'm gonna call it that. I was picturing a teeter-totter. If you've ever played on a teeter-totter and you tried to do it yourself, because for example, your two sisters weren't in the mood and you were sitting there alone trying to make it work. Have you ever done it? You like spring up on your knees and it's super lackluster. It doesn't work, it's no fun alone. 
or when your sister jumps off and you're at the top and you come crashing to the bottom, a teeter-totter only works in unforced rhythms of grace when you're both participating in equal measure. You're going back and forth. And so it is with Jesus. We see these moments where he retreats to the wilderness, meaning getting away and rest, solitude and communion with God. And then always the pattern goes back to engagement in the city and ministry, labor and service surrounded by crowds. This is the teeter-totter of unforced rhythms of grace that we are going to look at for two weeks. Now, Today, we're going to talk about that retreat to the wilderness. And the rest that we are talking about today, like the, the, the rest, the relaxing today, is different than a day off. Again, Eugene Patterson quoting him, he would call a day off a bastard Sabbath. Like, we're missing the point. It's not the fullness of what Sabbath is. Don't get me wrong. I love vacations. They're great. There's nothing wrong with having vacations. Do it. Take your days off. We have an epidemic of not using our PTO. Use your PTO. But... What we're talking about today is different. It's a topic of refreshment to counterbalance on our teeter-totter, our work, our engagement. And so it's a, it's a rhythm of regular respite from the norm of whatever your schedule is to specifically be in holy, special, beautiful communion with God. Let's look for a few examples that are recorded in the Gospels from the life of Jesus. We see these, that sometimes when it was still dark out, Jesus would get away, leave the house, and go off to a solitary place to pray. Every time he's praying, he's, just, he's chatting with God. That's the communion with God part, right? Sometimes he would leave the crowds and go up a mountainside to pray. At daybreak, he would start his day off in a solitary place. He would often with draw intentionally to lonely places to commune with God. And sometimes when he would dismiss the crowd, he would go off by himself to pray. We see that within the busyness, the hustle and bustle that we'll talk about next week in the life of Jesus, this teeter-totter always returned to retreat for communion with God. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take this one topic of this respite, this refreshment, and we're going to talk about it in two pieces. Both are really similar. Consider them two mini-sermons, but they all, both have their own personality. We're going to talk about Sabbath and retreat, and we're going to do this two-part little mini-sermon thing exactly backwards, because you know how usually at the end we sit there and we're like, and here's the exhortation on how to apply it to your life. I'm going to do that part now, and then we're just going to have the sermon after. You guys, the exhortation is this. Every single human in this room, you are designed for a rhythm of life that includes regular refreshment and retreat from the respite of your regular life. You are designed for this. My encouragement to you this morning is to just listen with open ears, attentive to what the Holy Spirit might be given to you to grab it as your own personal idea to maybe practice, maybe to give something new a try. But consider this a personal invitation from the Lord for you to re-enter into special holy rest and refreshment that is rooted in relationship, different than a nap. Naps are good. Take a nap in Sabbath. I got off track. But listen, it's a special rest and refreshment that is rooted in relationship with God. 
and there's something for you to grab and try to practice. That's the language we use here when we talk about Sabbath. We talk about practicing Sabbath because it's not something that comes easily all the time. Some weeks you'll do better than others, but it's a practice that we continue to engage in intentionally. And we hear this kind of language actually throughout all of scripture. Let me just poke our heads back a second to the very beginning in Genesis. In the creation narrative, we read Adam and Eve were designed to walk in the cool of the garden with Yahweh, with their creator, with God. They were designed to walk with God, similar to how Jesus said in our passage, walk with me and work with me. But that walking with is part of what we're designed for. I love the language that the Lord uses through the prophet uh, Hosea, in the prophets, yes, yes, in 2.14, when Israel has wandered, what does God say through the prophet? How does God speak to the nation that he loves? He says, I'm going to allure her, meaning Israel. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. What we're hearing here is that there's just is something to retreating away from your normal life that makes us be able to experience the voice and presence of God in an undistracted and sometimes creative way. And so these practices are really important. Mini sermon number one, Sabbath. I am gonna give you a pitch on why you wanna practice Sabbath starting now and for the rest of your life. No matter how good you are at it or bad on any given week, I would rate my Sabbath yesterday at like a C plus at best, but I will return to it the next week. So I don't always do it right, but I practice it. This is your, my pitch on why you should take God up on this invitation. It's a two-part pitch. Sabbath is a weekly day of holy rest, and we should take it seriously, number one, because it makes top billing in the top 10, the big billboard top 10 of commandments on how to lead a life of flourishing as individuals and communities. In the 10 commandments, it makes the cut. Let me give you a hint. Anything that makes the top 10 is a big deal, okay? So number one, it made the top 10. Number two, it's part of the very creation narrative, and we want to take that seriously. I'll go through both. We hear the top 10, the 10 commandments that God gave Moses. This is how to live in a way that would actually evoke flourishing and reflect the character of God well. As a nation, we should live this way. And we're like, yes, that's good. And we read the first few, yes, no other God. That's a big deal in our, in our, um, in our faith, that there is one triune God and that's it. No other gods before God. And yes, no idols. Idols are bad. We should be aware and work against idols. Like we're all in for that. We hear the other one no murder, don't lie, false testimony, no adultery. We're like, yeah, this is good stuff. I can say this is a good way to live. But in the center there, and the longest section of any other command, I might add, is a commandment to honor the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's the longest commandment of any of them. And we're like, if my schedule allows it. That's a maybe, murder I get. No idols, big deal to God throughout scripture. Sabbath, I'm really busy gal. And so we take that one as optional for reasons that I think are just culturally um, given to us, but not scripturally, uh, that doesn't make sense scripturally. So 
It is a really big deal that God designed humans. That's why I say this isn't an invitation. This is part of your human design is to have a weekly rhythm of something set apart and holy outside of your normal time in life. Number two, Sabbath is actually part of what God created. This is not an afterthought. After God finished working on day six in the creation narrative, it says that he rested on day seven. Why would it say that on day seven? Wouldn't it be like he rested on day six and took a break? He relaxed then. After six days of creation, this is from an amazing source, uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel says it this way. After six days of creation, the universe still lacked muha, rest. It's a special kind of soul rest, tranquility, serenity, peace, stillness, harmony, rest. That was what God created on the seventh day. That was the creation that was later named Sabbath in Deuteronomy. But in Genesis, it was created and known as a special kind of rest that was missing from the created order. And so God created that rest. Now consider this as humans. We can tend to think about our weekend in like a TGIF kind of way, right? We've had a really rough week. It's been really full. We come crashing into our Friday, TGIF, I need a break. But what if I told you that humans in the original design are meant to work from Sabbath rest, not crashing into it? Think about that. Yes, God rested on day seven in the narrative, not because he was exhausted. God does not get exhausted. Not because he's a workaholic also untrue. He's not frantically working to keep creation going at all. That wasn't the narrative. He didn't need a break. Nothing God created came out of a deficit. It was all from an overflow. So why is it that this is like, look at this in relation to humans, right? So God created Sabbath and refreshment to enjoy that creation. So God's posture on day seven is, ah, this is very good. I want to rest in the beauty of this created order, but look at where humans fall on this. We don't come crashing into the scene needing that rest on day seven. We've been created on day six. The first thing we do, surrounded by ground that needs tilling and plants that need planting and all of that stuff, there's work to be done in the created beauty of created order. But we start after we're created in a day of rest. We are designed to work out of Sabbath rest, not crashing into it. So it wasn't meant to be a break for us to work until we get to stop. It's the place from which we are to engage in all of the work that the Lord has for us. I practice my Sabbath on Saturday because of that. Sunday is the first day of my work week. If yours is Monday, I encourage you to take Sabbath on your Sunday. Up to you. You know your schedule. But what a delight to not crash into your Sabbath, but to work out of of that kind of holy sacred rest. Sabbath rest is restoration and refreshment for the soul. Uh, There's a quote from Walter Brueggemann, and I apologize that I can't find the source, but it's him somewhere. One day of the week when everything the world tells you you are meant to be shuts up. God is able to restore and breathe into your nefesh, your soul. It reawakens who you really are. It's different than needing a break. It is a reawakening of who we are. The false identities that the world or ourselves put on us, the demands of our schedule and our workplaces, all of that are cast off. And it's a day when your true self as a beloved child of God gets to reset in a truth. You might speak things like this. I'm actually not equivalent to what I do. I am a child of God. 
I'm not seen on this day as being productive and efficient. I am six other days of the week, but not today. And that's good for me. Instead, I'm seen today as holy and righteous only because of Jesus, not because of anything that I just checked off of my Asana software. I am not valued for the work of my hands today. I'm valued as an image bearer, and that is enough. Goals and growth are good, but they are not who I am in my core design. I'm speaking in the first person here, you guys, because I have to remind myself this all the time. My core design is to be in shalom with God and with others. And Sabbath rest is for restoration of that design. It's a reset of our mindset. And we need our minds to be reminded weekly. That's part of God's design because he knows we have short memories and we can get swept into the demands of the world thinking that that is who we are and where our value lies. So it is designed from that place. We then are equipped to go into the workplace as wholly integrated humans as we are meant to be. Other things in the created order God called good and very good, but the Sabbath God remarked was named holy different than good or very good. Set this apart. Holy means set apart. Remember it and keep it holy. So it means it's more than rest and refreshment. It's actually a space of holy spiritual formation. And I personally feel this. It's this sacred time to keep us rightly ordered, mind, body, soul, heart, all of it integrated. And part of that is that Holy Sabbath dethrones the narrative of self and rethrones God. And that's it. Rabbi Heschel again says, he, meaning the man, the us, me, you, whatever, he must say farewell to manual work and learn to understand that the world has already been created and will survive without the help of man. Six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in our soul. The world has our hands but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week, we seek to dominate the world. And on the seventh day, we try to dominate the self. And here's what I mean when I need this, right? So I wake up on my Saturday and I am so far a pro at Sabbath at this point in my day because I sleep in like a rock star. I am an epic sleeper inner. And so at this point, I'm doing great. I have my morning cup of coffee, some quiet time, still good. Maybe go on a walk, maybe do something creative, Darn it if it's hard not to set down that phone and leave it there. So I fail sometimes there. But somewhere around two o'clock, I get this itch. And for me, if you speak Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram too. I'm a helper. I love to help. But the problem with that is I sometimes need to be needed. And that need hits around two o'clock and I start to think, well, if nobody needs me, then what, what am I even doing? And there's a wrestle that happens. That's why I mean by spiritual formation. Your may look, yours may look different than mine, but I am just telling you guys, that's the confession that something needs to happen. And that's where we press into that holy space and we have to speak the truth of who we really are to remember that actually the world does keep spinning because it's God's world and not ours. So that is the weekly uh, reorientation of our truest selves with God that we call Sabbath rest. And that was your invitation. You should practice that. Sermon part two. Now let's talk about retreat. 
it's related, but it's slightly different, and I believe it deserves its own billing as a habit in the life of the Christian who's following the way of Jesus. So if Sabbath is a weekly rhythm of from the work and rest rhythm, right, that often involves an intentional mindset of worship and gratitude, and we engage with things during Sabbath, right? I like to engage with creating something. Like if I want to spend time knitting for no reason or baking a loaf of bread, we try to practice some creativity, take a walk in nature. There's an engagement. I would say that retreat is a withdrawal. It's the opposite. So if Sabbath is an intentional engagement with certain things, retreat is the time that we say, I actually have to remove and step away in stillness, silence, and solitude so that I can connect with God in a deeper way. Now, there might be some crossover in what you do between the two practices, but they do both play their own role in helping us in the deep in you to cry out and meet with the deep in God. And we need to foster these connections with that relationship that is meant to sustain us. So while Sabbath is weekly, retreat may be very infrequent, maybe one or two a year. Uh, quarterly, if you're really like amazing, you know, and can actually do that, go for it. I aim for two a year and sometimes just hit one. And so it's, it's prolonged if possible, but hear this, do what you can. So let's look at the life of Jesus again. Mark chapter six, starting in verse 30. The apostles gathered, gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. This was right after Jesus had sent them off in twos. And you guys, amazing things were happening in the world of ministry. They came back and reported miracles and it was amazing to them. And they were so excited and there was momentum. But then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. They were working so much. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. There's actually several locations in the gospels that we see Jesus taking just a couple disciples. Come away with me just in a special kind of way, especially with Peter, James, and John. So you hear in this that there can be alone or with others. You can actually practice solitude with other people around you. The goal is to set apart space to practice some stillness, silence, and solitude, and an awareness of the presence of God. Now, I would say to you that I think the term retreat has been a little bit hijacked. We actually had a leadership retreat. We try to do this twice a year. All we can grab is an evening most times, and it's still a lovely space. After the last time, we had somebody who came to it for the first time say to me, like, I did not expect that. That was actually a retreat. I came expecting an agenda. Well, that's because in our world, if you are invited on a corporate retreat, what does it mean? We're going to have brainstorming sessions and workshops, and in between, you're expected to network like crazy. Maybe you've been on a Christian retreat, maybe to a center, and they're lovely, but there's a lot of content. I recently went to one where the retreat was a time of connection the entire time I came home exhausted. I'm like, I need to be alone for a hot second. I've just come back from retreat. Like the word has been a little bit hijacked. So for our purposes here, I want to use Ruth Haley Barton's content um, and what she, she says it really well. Retreat in the context of the spiritual life is an extended time apart for the purpose of being with God and giving God our full and undivided attention. We sense that a kind of fullness and satisfaction is discovered more in the silence than in words, more in solitude than in socializing, and more in spaciousness than busyness. 
I think that's really beautiful. That's kind of simplifying the whole silence and stillness and solitude thing, right? It's giving us a chance to listen to and respond to the spirit of God deep within us. And sometimes we just need to get away. Before you can give me your hesitations, I'm gonna go ahead and address those. For those of you with young kids or with crazy lifestyles in some other way, we just say like, listen, you don't understand, it's a crazy time of life. That's fine. There was a season in my life when my retreat was a 20 minute head start before the kids came to hunt and find me soaking in a bubble bath. I said, 20 minutes, give me a 20 minute head start. And that was it. And it was beautiful. Take what you can get. It's okay. There's also time to include kids or whatever your chaos looks like. And you have to maybe get creative to have a balance of time together, Sabbathing as a family, and how to guard little times for mom, for dad within that day. That's fine. Find balance as well if you're practicing with other people to honor some of you are extroverts and some are introverts. Refreshment looks different for different people. You can practice Sabbath and retreat in those crazy times of life. Some of you will say, you don't understand my job. The expectation is that I will just be on 24-7. Right, so that's exactly what we're fighting against because you're not actually designed for that. And so this might be a fight. The last time I took retreat, I'm a pastor. I took a personal day off in order to do it and to remind myself I can't check my emails today because that's a bad habit of mine. And so you can take time off. I'm just going to tell you right now, pastoral permission. Your pastor said, take it as a mental health day. It's a sick day. Mental health is a sickness and you want to avoid it. Call in sick to have a retreat day. It's okay. I just said it's okay. I'll talk to your HR. Another thing, you might say, listen, Melissa, I'm alone too much in my life. I work remotely. I live alone. Listen, solitude is more than being alone in a space. It's practicing solitude. You can be around other people or not, doesn't matter. It's space designed for practicing divine presence. And so you're guarding a a, a place of um, that solitude is more about the peace and connectedness with God. And so home alone is not the same as practicing solitude and retreat. You even see in this passage, what does Jesus say? Come away with me, you guys, plural. Come away with me by yourselves, plural. Like by yourself and together, yeah. That's the beauty of holy solitude when he calls them to retreat together, alone together. They went together to a solitary place. And I would read this as well for Ruth Haley Barton in case you think like, yeah, but like retreat sounds like something that you would do if you were in ministry. But in my corporate world, that's not really my language. I would say to you, it's everybody's. She says this, one of the dangers of living in a constant state of distraction is that we never get to the bottom of our pain, our sadness, our emptiness, which means we never find that rock bottom place of the peace that passes understanding and rest ourselves there. We never receive the comfort promised to those who mourn. So we're always on the prowl for more and better distractions. Not only are we distracted from the present, we're distracted from our very lives. We miss out on the comfort that is there for us when we're present to our own depths in God's presence. That is what retreat is all about. And that's what I believe rhythms of Jesus's life call us into. We want to be able to go into those spaces and feel the deep things with enough buffer that we're not rushing to do that dopamine hit to just cover up that feeling that we find as soon as it gets uncomfortable. Personally, it helps me in retreat to get out of my condo. So I can't get distracted by things like laundry or watering the plants. It helps me to set aside to-do lists and actually not give myself access to the devices that would give me that dopamine hit that I'm so used to. I have to get away and be still and quiet with myself. My list to be aware of things that I'm feeling, to insecurities that I'm facing and covering up, 
to self-talk that I don't even realize I'm saying to myself, sometimes to even realize that I have a dream or a passion that I'm almost afraid to look at. If the world slows down enough, I can rediscover all of those deeper parts of me when I'm not distracted. And in that space, with whatever gets uncovered, I practice the presence of God in me, with me, in you, with you. I find deep peace in that stillness, and I just sometimes don't have to get anywhere. No agenda with God. Sometimes I find whatever it is that i was been distracting for the months before, and I just sit with that. And then I just celebrate the witness of God exactly where I am. And it brings me back again and again to just be willing to be still when my mind wanders, when my fingers start fidgeting, and when I start to get up to quick do something because the stillness gets uncomfortable. Again and again, I have the space to go back to presence. Rich Velotis in his book, I brought a few resources if anyone wants to look at this. He says this, we desperately need a way of thinking and living that isn't captive to the powers of efficiency, speed, and performance. We need a way of living according to a different understanding of time and space. To be deeply formed is to regularly come back to a different rhythm, a rhythm marked by communion, reflection, and life-giving pace that enables us to offer our presence to the present moment. So some thoughts for you as I have just invited you into this rhythm of practicing both Sabbath and retreat. A couple pieces of advice. Number one, you've got to guard your calendar. You can't wait until you have an opening. Like it probably won't happen. Go ahead and schedule it far off. Guard it in your calendar. These things don't happen by accident. And there's, okay, there's no such thing as a good time. As you get closer to that time, you'll probably be like, oh, but I didn't know and this is a bad week. It's okay, there's never a good time. Just take that retreat that you put in your calendar or the Sabbath. Another thing, prepare in advance. You might need to think about some errands that need to be run, a bill that needs to be paid that's actually due on your Sabbath. Do that before. Go ahead and get your food so you don't have to think about it that day, whatever it is. So just prepare a little bit in advance. Most of us, I would say, suffer from information overload. We just have content that gives us so much information all the time from so many places. I want you to be aware of where you're receiving all of your inputs and shut it down. Just give yourself the permission to shut down those normal sources of input and instead, maybe get your input from music or art. Have you ever just received your only input of the day is from pieces of art that aren't speaking at you, but is visual? It's beautiful. Have your input come from something you're doing with your hands. It's so beautiful. You engage your senses. Uh, input from nature. You will be amazed how long a day actually is if you don't set your, if you set your phone down the whole time. You'll be like, it's like that passage in the Bible where the sun stays in place for the longer time by a miracle. It's like we actually feel that all the time on days when we just set that thing down and don't realize how often we're picking it up. A day is longer than we think, especially when it's a day of Sabbath or retreat. So create something, enjoy something to the point of just savoring it with like uh, gratuitous savoring, right? If something's pretty, stop a really long time and savor it instead of passing it by. Notice things, observe things, delight. Engage your senses in different way, taste, smell, touch. Set down whatever the tools of your trade are. Whether you're an artist, do something different. You're a student, set down those books. You work at a computer, don't even open it all day long. Set down the tool of your trade and pick up something new. Your hands love and your feet love to be engaged in these rhythms of rest and refreshment.
In a culture, I would say this, in a culture that, like ours, when you ask somebody, maybe you did this morning, you ask somebody, how are you? There's a couple of acceptable answers. If someone says good, that's good. If somebody says, oh, not so good, or I'm fine, you can read that and you're like, what's going on? So that's a not okay answer. Even the I'm fine, but good is okay. The other one that's totally acceptable is busy. How are you? Busy. Yeah, me too. Yeah, totally. I get it. Like, that's like, yeah, that's fine. Everybody's fine with busy. It's the badge of honor we all wear in defining our our life, our, our weeks, whatever. How are you? I am busy. And in a culture that uses busy as a badge of honor, I remind us that we are designed by God, by the creator of the universe, to enter into rhythms that fill our soul and refresh us with a sense of sacredness of both time and space and connectedness to our creator God. Again, different than crashing at the couch at the end of a day rest. I dig that rest. That's good rest, but it's not holy. It's not set apart, and it's not as refreshing as these rhythms. And Jesus practiced this way of rest and refreshment to balance the ministry that we're going to talk about next week, those things that demand so much of him. I think of the way I look at this in the life of Jesus, in his rhythms. You ever have, like, think of a piece of notebook paper back in the day when you were returning back to the schoolroom, right, this new season of a school year. You know how your teacher made sure you kept the margins clear? Have you ever seen a paper that has been so written in that there's no margin and like one other word, you, you like misidentified how long your word was going to take you and you're like spilling off the page, right? There's no margin anymore. When you and your life have built a life with no margin, there's no room to react to the work of the ministry like Jesus did time and time again. Jesus had a holy interruptibility. The woman with the issue of blood tugs on his hem. He's busy going somewhere else, right? And he stops everything and listens to her whole truth. The lepers stop him on his way to going somewhere else. He stops and heals them. Jesus can't say yes to every single thing. How is it that he could pick? He had a holy interruptibility because he maintained margins in his life that were holy in communion with God so that when he felt a prompting from God through the Holy Spirit to stop and listen to her whole truth or to heal the person covered in leprosy and reach out with a touch, he could be wholly interruptible because his world was not so uh, buffered out that there would only be spillage over if he went one step further. He could maintain holy interruptibility with his use of what I would call margins. And that's why these rhythms are both and so important. So as we look at these invitations to Sabbath and retreat, I want to end, because I already gave you the exhortation in the beginning. You guys, you're, you're meant for this. Practice something. I would love to talk about this. I'd love to share more from great minds that have studied the whole bit of this and why we all get back to this is God's original design for us. But here's what I want to leave you with. Because we are talking about setting down regular tools of our trade and engaging senses, I want to engage in some creative imagery for you. I want to leave you with an image when it comes to this balance of life. I love gardening. Because I don't have a yard where I can garden every day, I garden as part of my Sabbath. It's not my normal tool of trade. And so like when we're at the cabin, I love to go mowing. I have a ride-on mower. I can't tell you how many good prayer walks, well, rides I've had on my ride-on John Deere mower. It was a gift from my father-in-law, and it's one of my favorite things. I love getting out in the yard. I love pulling weeds. It's like something so therapeutic. They have such little roots. They come out easily, and you feel so productive, but like in a good way, 
tending to a garden. I love gardening as part of my Sabbath. I found this blog called Soul Shepherding and it was reminding me that in Jesus's rhythms of life, we are given this amazing imagery from a garden. In John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And what we hear is the same thing that Jesus did, that abiding with the gardener father. Jesus bore this fruit in a ministry that we have recorded so beautifully. It was, it's an overflow. You can't force grape production without staying connected to the vine. Jesus uses this imagery because it's so beautiful and it makes so much sense. In order for us to bear the fruit of love for others like Jesus did in the work that we're gonna talk about next week, to bear that fruit of love for others, we have to be intimately abiding with God, the fruit of what we're talking about this week, this rhythm like Jesus did. And so the imagery I leave you with this morning is actually from a few years ago. We had a summer where we were at our cabin in the woods in the middle of nowhere in Indiana. We have this little log cabin. It's like 40 years old. It's made of logs. It's like literally logs. And we have a garden there. And one year, our first year, we're like, let's make a veggie garden. And we were there a lot that summer. And we just tilled up that soil and we started planting stuff. You guys, we harvested so many tomatoes, I could not keep up with them. I was just learning to jar. It was prolific. I couldn't do it. Gigi, our middle daughter to this day, she's 19. This was probably 10 years ago. She will not eat cooked tomatoes because there were so many tomatoes that summer. And we couldn't even believe it. We didn't know, but we were there and we were present. We planted two butternut squash plants and yielded 39 squash. I couldn't give them away fast enough. They were amazing, but we were there. That's my point. And that summer I heard this old gardening proverb that says this, the best fertilizer is the gardener's shadow. The next year we tried the same garden, but life and work had us away so much more here in the city. You guys, it was a hot mess. Our apple trees had pests and no apples made it. Our blueberries were taken over. There were weeds that went higher than the attempt at sweet corn. The best fertilizer is the gardener's shadow. And since the garden of Eden, we were designed to walk in the cool of the garden under the gardener's shadow. And yet we've allowed our lives to just buffer out our margins. And so we're not even under the gardener's shadow that we are invited to. In our case, unlike our little cabin in the woods, like the gardener is already here and waiting to call us back and say, abide in me. I can't wait to bear this fruit in you as you are connected with me. That fruit will go out as you love others. But man, don't disconnect for the work to disbalance on our teeter-totter and for you to be so jolted that you don't even realize you're not living in refreshment and restorative rhythms of grace. The invitation is there. And yes, folks, sometimes we have to fight for that buffer in our calendar. But I assure you by God's design, it is worth guarding. It is worth taking this call to retreat and Sabbath seriously. 
we're so busy doing that we can miss an invitation, you guys, and I don't wanna be those people. I already feel like when I think of this congregation, we have so many people here practicing Sabbath, and I love it. Join with us in our rhythms that we're learning. Practice it. There are people here who are getting A pluses or C pluses like I did yesterday, but we won't give up, and we'd love to talk about these rhythms, these restorative rhythms, but I just wanna leave you with this. The ever-present shadow of your gardener is waiting for you to enter into spaces. We don't want to miss it with the noise of our world, to miss out on this opportunity to live in life-giving rhythms of grace. As respond just to this shadow of the gardener in your life. Think about the difference between the summer of the weeds and the summer of the butternut squash. Like, I want to be in the butternut squash summer. And that's just because of there's a practiced presence that fosters fruit bearing in a very real and holy way. So um, I just wanted to give you that invitation today. Thanks for hearing me out. Let's pray and find out different ways to respond. God, I am so thankful that you um, give us fresh rhythms of grace and that your mercies are new every morning. And when we falter or when we forget or when our memories are short, you are so long-suffering and long-standing. And I believe, God, in your holy design of how humans were meant to work, you give us this little short account of a weekly Sabbath because we can forget by Thursday every week. And I just bless you and honor you and thank you that you knew we needed rhythms as regularly as weekly Sabbath and as special times of retreat, like when uh, Jesus called away the disciples for special moments to get away together alone and walk with him. So God, I thank you for your demonstration of these things. I pray that you would help to inspire us to enter under your shadow as our gardener of our soul and see what you might bring forth from the soil. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.